You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. worship really is a charade if through the week we're not reaching up to God individually. If this is your only time of worship, then it's a charade. We should be walking in a state of worship, walking in a state of worship, walking in that love and allowing the Spirit to just guide you and fill you because you're worshiping a holy and righteous God. You're standing before the throne room, facing Him and saying, I love you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Worship is not something that should only happen on Sunday mornings. As Pastor Dave will explain in today's message, worship should be a lifestyle. Every single day, you should be living in a way that glorifies God, who has saved you from the oppression of sin and given you eternal hope. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 2 for today's edition of A Sure Hope. Turn to Acts 2. Turn to Acts 2. Specifically, Acts 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There's a great story from World War II, and you've probably heard it before, but it was worth repeating. There was a church building in Salzburg that was destroyed. And after the bombing, the members surveyed the area to see what damage was caused. And they were pleased that the statue that sat in front of the church of Jesus Christ was still in one piece except for one thing. The hands had been sheared off. What once was hands of Jesus reaching out were sheared off by a beam or something that fell after the bombing. After they took a closer look, they decided that it could be fixed. So they hired a sculptor. And he looked at it and he said, yeah, I can fix this. But then the church body got together and they started praying and started thinking, you know what? We don't want to fix it. So they left it there and they changed the inscription at the bottom of the base of the statue to read, I have no hands but yours. Interesting. Now, I have to confess Studying for today's message, I looked back at this story, and I looked at a few other stories, and there's a story like this from England, there's a story like this from France, there's a story like this from... So the validity of this story is in question. However, the reality is true. The reality of the story, too. The church, the body of Christ, we are His hands. We are His hands. If the church is to minister to the poor, it has to be done through our hands. If we're to take care of the sick, if Christ is to touch the sick and take care of the sick, it has to be through our hands. If he's to reach out to those who are lonely, those who are hurting, those who are addicted, those who are in alternative lifestyles, those that have fallen away, it has to be through our hands. At no time was this more prevalent to me than when I went to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. 
with the Billy Graham Evangelical Association. And as we walked the streets, many, many, many people came up to us and they said, you're the only people that are reaching out to us. The church is the only ones that are making a difference in our lives. We can't get help from this association or that people. And you remember all the fiasco with FEMA and the government and all that kind of stuff. It was the church that was standing strong. And it was the church of Jesus Christ that was being recognized as the one that was caring for those who were hurting during that time. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? I mean, Paul even wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He said, now you are the body of Christ and the members individually. You know that beautiful passage where he talks about the body and how each part of the body has a specific task, a specific part that he plays. And no one part is greater than the other part. And should the finger say, I want to be an eye, or should the eye say, I want to be a mouth? We all have a job to do. We all have a task at hand. And this is what I think of when I think of the early church in the book of Acts. The church of the book of Acts was full of vision They were full of faith, and they were full of the willingness to fight for that which they believed in. The church in the book of Acts was was not a stagnant church. It wasn't a stagnant church. It was a church on the move. It wasn't a monument to Christianity. Up on the Delaware River, docked near the city of Camden, sits the mighty, mighty battleship New Jersey. What a glorious, glorious feat of ingenuity and armament and power on display for all to see. If you've never been to the battleship New Jersey, it is worth a trip. It is worth a trip. The battleship New Jersey, once the proudest ship in the fleet, protecting troops as they landed on the beaches in various wars, battling other ships from other countries in the great seas and pounding targets on the mainland. Little known fact about the battleship New Jersey, just because I'm a history buff, at the end of World War II, the battleship New Jersey was designated at that ship where the signing of the surrender treaty from Japan would take place. And they were all getting it ready and they were all scrubbing it down. But something happened right before the end of World War II. President Roosevelt died. And Harry Truman, the vice president, became president of the United States. And guess where Harry Truman was from? Missouri. What battleship did they sign the surrender on? Missouri. Little known fact. You can file that away. But the ship is now docked. The ship is decommissioned, they called it. It's been stripped down. They've taken many parts away. It lies as a monument of the past. It lies as a monument of a great time and a great effort in the past. And we look at it and we marvel, wow, look at this. Sadly, there are great churches. Sadly, there are great church movements that now lie as monuments to wonderful things that happened in the past. The church that is not a monument, the church that is not stagnant, The church is ever streaming ahead, moving forward. The church then becomes a living extension of the book of Acts and becomes what I call an Acts 29 church. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. The church in the book of Acts was focused, and they were focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He was the head and is the head. They were his body and they knew it. They knew that there was no one more important in the church than he. It was his church. They wanted to know him. They wanted to exalt him. They wanted to show him to others and they wanted to see him high and lifted up in everything that they did. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, for we don't preach ourselves, we preach Jesus Christ. It wasn't about what Paul thought. It wasn't about what Apollos thought. It wasn't about Peter and James and John. It wasn't about the apostles. It wasn't about the disciples. It was about Jesus Christ. And that's what they preached, and that's what they stood strong for. The church of the book of Acts knew the importance of their Savior. Why can we say that? Because the church in the book of Acts was an extension of Jesus' ministry on earth. It was just an extension. In fact, that body of believers was commissioned by none other than Jesus Christ himself. You can read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. These group of believers were empowered by the Spirit himself in Acts 1, verse 8. And this group of believers carried the message of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome and everywhere in between. And you can read that from Acts chapter 2 all the way through Acts chapter 28. We studied it for three years. So how do we take what we've learned, how do we take now and apply it not only to our lives individually, but to the life of a church? There are many, many characteristics of the early church, but I've chosen three key characteristics. I've chosen three key characteristics that are found not only in the book of Acts, but they're found throughout Scripture as well. The characteristics that I've chosen was, or excuse me, the characteristics I've chosen are, the early church was an upward-worshipping church. They were an inward-caring church, And they were an outward-sharing church. Let's look at the first characteristic. The early church recorded in the book of Acts by Dr. Luke was an upward-worshipping church. We read in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. And in the Greek, this word steadfastly, or the phrase continued steadfastly, means to be constantly diligent. And several other translations say they were devoted. They were devoted to doing these things. As I said, the early church was focused on Jesus Christ. They were focused on God's word. And this pervaded their lives. And what does that mean? This means that it was constant throughout their lives. It pervaded every part of their lives. And there I say, it was their exact purpose for living. It became their life. It wasn't just what they did when they met on Sunday or whenever they met at a home. It would pervade their lives. It was their lives. The church looked upward. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. The church looked upward and they worshiped the Lord. They worshiped together. They worship separately, and they worship daily. Look at 246. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, they worship daily. This wasn't new to these guys. 
and these ladies, this wasn't new to them. This was not a new concept because love and worship and the worship of God was a huge component in the early church. Why? What were all these early Christians anyhow? They were Jews. They were all Jews. They were used to going to the temple and worshiping. In fact, the Shema was a fundamental summary statement of the Jewish laws. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, this famous thing that Israel says constantly before every meeting at all the times, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The beautiful Shemot that they recite. Jesus said that this was the greatest and first commandment. He said so in Matthew 22, verses 33 through 40. He said that this was the greatest and first commandment. And then he added a tag to it. He said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The commentator, R. Kent Hughes, says this. This call to love and worship was codified in an effort to ensure that God's people would be fit worshipers. But when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, worship became as natural as breathing. I like that. Is your worship as natural as breathing? As natural as breathing? See, worship is a primary characteristic of the church that refuses to stand still. A church on the move. A church that refuses to be a monument of the past. Sad reality is, people are worshiping everything except Jesus. I mean, look at the state of our world. People are worshiping their work their careers. They're worshiping sports. They're worshiping relationships. They're worshiping money. Now I say that none of these are wrong in and of themselves. I'm not saying a work, career, sports. I'm not saying anything's wrong in and of themselves. But when they become the priority of your life, when you put them above God, you're worshiping them instead of worshiping our Creator. And that's what's happening today. A.W. Tozier made this quote. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in an adoring silence. He goes on and says, Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. And he concludes, The words of the psalmist, Be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in the middle of this 20th century. I believe things have gotten worse since he wrote this. I believe that now that we're in the 21st century, we've become a host of hurrying, scurrying believers who seldom slow down long enough to look upward even while at church. As we begin to worship, we slip into neutral. We just slip into neutral and we begin to reflect on what was accomplished this week or what wasn't accomplished this week or what we have to accomplish next week or a meeting we might have, or where are we going to lunch, or whatever. When the Word is taught, we just endure it. Or we constantly trying to find fault with it. Instead of listening to the heart of God, and allowing His Spirit to show us things through His Word, allowing the Word to accomplish that which the Word of God was meant to do in our hearts, to reprove us, to correct us, to encourage us, to enlighten us, to help us, to guide us. Sadly, it took a poll of why people go to church. 
Not one person mentioned worship. Not one person mentioned worship. If we desire to be an upward church and continue the book of Acts, we must give careful attention to worship, including our own private adoration and thanksgiving. We must not wait until a trial or a cruel circumstance that comes up till we start worshiping. We must walk in a state of worship. It must be our life. We must be constantly singing hymns, singing songs, worshiping the Lord, telling Him we love Him, and being one with Him. It is extremely important. Listen to William Temple's definition of worship. This might be helpful to you. We worship God to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to fill the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open up the hearts to the love of God, and to devote ourselves to the purpose of God. I love that. Isn't that great? The conscience, the mind, the imagination, the heart, the will, our entire being devoted to God and walking in a state of worship. Isn't this what Paul means? I think it, but he means in Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Isn't it what Paul was talking about? Presenting ourselves before God in worship. Our corporate worship really is a charade if through the week we're not reaching up to God individually. If this is your only time of worship, then it's a charade. We should be walking in a state of worship. Walking in a state of worship walking in that love and allowing the Spirit to just guide you and fill you because you're worshiping a holy and righteous God. You're standing before the throne room, facing Him and saying, I love you. Thank you for what you've done for me. This is what worship is about. This is our lives. In order to be the hands of Christ, we must be an upward worshiping church. Worship should be something that we always do, not just on Sunday morning for 20, 30 minutes. The early church was an upward-worshipping church, and the early church was an inward-caring church. Going back to 242, it says they devoted themselves to fellowship, prayer, breaking of bread. The Greek word here, you know it, koinonia. The Greek word is koinonia, which means partnership. It means participation. It means communication. These early believers, they were eating together, they were praying together, they were living together, they were being together, they were studying God's Word together. They loved being with each other. They genuinely liked each other. What a concept. They esteemed each other better than the other one. They liked each other's company. You know, so much in the book of Acts is an emphasis on giving one to another or caring one for another. That's why the early church was an inward, caring church. If you go back to X2, look at 44 and 45. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. These new Christians cared for each other. They were socially and even materially involved in each other's lives. This is what true fellowship is, caring about one another enjoying each other's company, learning from one another, loving our Lord together and learning together. As we fellowship in God's Word, the Spirit moves within us and we begin to experience God's grace as it washes over us. 
When this grace washes over us, all of a sudden we have this need to share that with someone, to love on someone and tell somebody how much they're esteemed and how much they're loved by God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, that he he would spend everything he had, including himself, for them. You feel that way about your fellow believer? He would spend everything he had for them. Wow. That's what we want. Hugh says, care is a concern for one another's spiritual welfare, their material welfare, their growth in Christ is to be inward characteristic of the church. Do you care about someone's growth in Christ? Do you care about your brother or sister, the way they're growing into Christ? Maybe they've slipped. Have you noticed them slipping? Are you concerned about them? I love this passage, and I've quoted it many, many times. You might get tired of hearing it, but I never get tired of quoting it. In Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul makes this beautiful proclamation here about the mind of Christ. He said, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind that each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but the interest of others as well. That's fellowship. That's caring one for another. How is this accomplished? It's accomplished by fellowshipping one into another, getting to know each other, getting to know you. No. But get to know those within the fellowship. If a need arises, maybe you can help. Maybe you've been through what they're going through and you can talk to them about it. Maybe things have happened in your life that now this person's going through and you're going, wait a minute. That happened to me a couple of years ago and this is what the Lord showed me during this. Or maybe there's a passage of Scripture. You know, the teaching of God's Word just doesn't happen here. We worship and the Lord is able to speak to you through your worship. And then we have God's Word and hopefully the Lord is speaking to you through God's Word. But then afterwards we have fellowship and we start to fellowship one to another and then you start to minister one to another through God's Word as the Spirit moves you and as the Spirit leads you. So the whole thing is a purpose for everything we do. There's a purpose. And then you go, you know what? We should pray about this. Boom. And then you have the entire Acts 2.42. Right there. And the person leaves and like, Wow. I can do this. I can get through another week. I can get through another couple days. Because I know I'm not alone in what I'm going through. I know that I'm not struggling with all these things. I'm not losing my mind because I think I'm some crazed being because of what's happening to me. You find out that other people are just like you. And you find out other things like we're really just human beings. We're really just regular people who happen to love Jesus Christ. Ultimately, care for the body means grace for the world. Care for the body means grace for the world. When you're caring for the body, all of a sudden you start to care for the world. Why? In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this they will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. They'll know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. You are sure. The stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. 
Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life changed hearts and saved countless people, and continues on even today through the writings and Acts and the rest of the New Testament. However, the lives you were studying weren't without trial. Each disciple of Jesus faced persecution in some form, yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith. What difficulties are you facing for Jesus now? Don't lose heart. Remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free. You have the Savior of the world on your side, and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Shank. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel, Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope. Rescued.